Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 85 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Chiang Mai, Thailand and Sam is back in the good old USA, Tampa, Florida. <laughs> it's never felt so good. It's good to be back. Johnny, you sound crystal clear. Hopefully I sound good. I got a new mic set up to bring in the new year and I am feeling great in the USA. I never thought I'd say it as much as I've dogged the USA over the last several years living abroad. It really feels like it's stepping up the game, and I feel great to be back. Yeah, so this is the first time that your internet's been uh, not choppy for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, I like, you know, I'm happy with Chiang Mai because to me, it's a lot of the same kind of features of stability, having a nice apartment, having things just kind of work. Um, unlike Brazil, we just got back from where things like electricity or internet are not as stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, there's, there's a lot of things um, not stable there. But I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> I, I did warm up to it. For, for any of the listeners that are curious or going, Carnival, we'll talk more about this on the on our Q1 updates coming up, but Carnival is a incredibly impressive event. Definitely the world's most impressive parade any you know anywhere in the world. It's incredible. Dangerous, yes. All countries have problems. I warmed up to, to a little bit. I'm glad I went. But it's um, it's refreshing to be back to the U.S. and to a little bit to a little bit more of a stable environment. I like it, and it's nice to talk to you um, on video again because we actually have the bandwidth to do so, <laughs> and especially because, I mean, it's it's been a while since we like really really caught up in person. So this is really nice. And actually, next week I'm going to be going to Nepal for a month. So I don't know how good my internet's going to be when I'm there. Wow, I'm excited to hear more about that, man. And I'll tell you what. Since we last talked, it seems like every time we talk since the previous week, there's been a wild, wild ride in the world of cryptocurrencies. And when I was in Brazil, there was this massive, massive downturn sell off. I'll tell you what, Johnny, when I, when it was going down, you really, really questioned, what are you holding? What am I holding? What are these things that I'm holding? So it's a big gut check. And unfortunately, I had to sell one Bitcoin at the bottom because I ran out of US cash, embarrassingly, in my US bank accounts. But um, listen, whether no matter what your views are on cryptocurrencies, we're going to talk about it on this episode with Greg Gregerson of uh, Silver Bullion, who's got a great new product coming out with with crypto security, no matter what your views are of cryptocurrencies as they stand today, the future is going to hold crypto assets. Certain assets are going to be tokenized, certain assets, there's going to be cryptocurrencies for sure, whether they're here today or, or, or there's going to be new ones tomorrow, they will be a thing of the future. And it's important that people know how to secure these things and how to hold them so they don't make mistakes like we've all seen in the, the past. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited because honestly, it's been confusing. I think one of the big reasons why people don't even start investing in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies is because they're afraid of all the steps it takes to, you know, store it. Do you, are you going to use an online wallet, a software wallet, a hardware wallet, a cold wallet? And it's confusing to people where people just don't get started at all. So, um, and you know, especially maybe 
after this episode, after we kind of dive in deep with all the different solutions, let's talk about what we personally use for our storage solutions uh, at the end of the episode and what we would recommend to people who are either just getting started or have X amount uh, in some kind of crypto. I love it. So if any of the listeners who have been following us for a while, we've covered cryptocurrencies as an asset class, as currencies, how to buy them, and previously even how to store them. So now we're going to dive in deep into the next level of Storium with a great product that Gregor is coming out with. We've had Gregor on in the past. We're going to talk at what I would call a really a next generation type of security for these things, uh, almost an institutional level style security for crypto assets. And let's dive into it deep. And then Johnny, let's jump back on afterwards and let's talk about what we're currently doing with our cryptocurrencies, how we're holding them and recommendations for the listeners. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys want to see the video that kind of sparked this whole, you know, interest, uh, go to Invest Like a Boss episode 85. And there's going to be a, an embedded video in the show notes showing the actual safe house, the vault where they're storing, you know, the, they're going to be storing the Bitcoin. And it's literally a, a Fort Knox looking bank yeah, with gold is. and silver. It's really cool. So uh, here we go. Let's take a listen to this episode. Welcome back, Gregor. It's been about a year since we caught up, and it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Great to be here. A lot of changes in the world since we last chatted about the safe house and about what you're doing at Silver Bullion in Singapore. And since then, the rise of cryptos is on everyone's mind. So we're going to discuss a lot of things about cryptos and especially security and why it's important to store these things securely because I know a lot of people have lost coins, including myself. How about you, Gregor? Have you, have you lost any coins or know anyone that has? I haven't lost any coins yet. I was to the party a little bit late. I only bought back in October of last year. So uh, I guess I haven't had a lot of time to lose coins yet. <laughs> that's a good that's a good thing I, i've heard some ridiculous stat that i don't know if it's been quantified yet but it says that one in four coins currently mined are eventually lost and if that's true or even partially true that's a really scary statistic uh, yes there was a study being done that 2.7 to 3.7 million bitcoins have likely been lost and they did that doing an analysis of the blockchain and uh, with a few assumptions and so on. Plus, there's been at least 1 million Bitcoins or more which have been stolen. Uh, you know, the 850,000 Bitcoin heist from Mount Gauss and some other ones. So uh, I think it's fairly accurate to say that one in four Bitcoins have been lost or stolen. Um, so about 16.7 million out there. And, you know, four to four and a half million probably have been lost. I uh, I infamously lost coins in, in Mt. Gox. And I mentioned this on a previous episode that Mt. Gox re recently released a, a bankruptcy paper to anyone who had filed a claim. They released this bankruptcy paper that showed everybody else who had also filed a claim. I thought that was, was unusual and, and a little bit too transparent because you literally see a ledger of every single person's name plus how many coins that they lost. And... I was shocked to see how many people lost coins in there and the quantity of coins that were lost. And I think that that really brings it home when you see that list because, you know, we hear about these hacks happening here, happening here. You hear about the odd person that's, you know, threw their computer away in a dumpster and lost uh, a million bitcoins. But until you actually see that 
or experience it, you don't really realize how easy and just how many coins are being lost and stolen almost regularly, almost every single day. So we're going to talk about the safe house. You guys have an awesome new product out that I think is incredible. And we're going to share a link to this video that you guys have put together describing it. It's it's definitely next level, state of the art, and it's going to be the future of storage for a lot of people and certainly a lot of institutions and governments. And I wanted to first kind of build up into the episode just with you know what you're seeing on the, the other side of your business, which is, of course, silver, gold storage and, and demand for silver and gold and how that might be being affected by cryptos at this moment. Well, I think precious metals have had um, have been influenced quite a lot by cryptos this year or last year, actually, 2017, because uh, we sort of found that the crypto buyer also oftentimes tends to have to be a precious metal buyer or at least their mentality is quite close. So a lot of precious metal people sort of started moving into crypto. And I think that's one of the reasons why early 2017, um, gold and silver really weren't in that much demand. But we are now seeing a reversal of that. And I think the reason we are seeing a reversal is because people made so much money with crypto. I mean, you look at Ripple, uh, if I understand, 36,000% up last year, that these people are coming back, taking some of those gains and going back into gold or silver. And it makes a lot of sense for these people to do it, you know, take some of the gains off the table and put it in something. Basically, it's very stable and uh, a good value. Uh, last December, last month, basically, we had our third best year. So for the year overall, it was quite slow. And then starting November, December, things really started heating up. Hmm, That's really interesting. So it makes a lot of sense what you said about the reversal. And I had kind of my own assumptions that that might be happening simply because I know a lot of people that have taken crypto gains uh, and not necessarily put it in gold, silver, but put it in other other assets like, you know, startups, their own private, you know, their own business or a real estate of, of such. And I, th- I think that's happening a lot now just from what I hear. But often I think that's a clue into what might be going on in the broader market. So that's really interesting. And and has gold and silver demand been consistent as it has historically been with you guys? Or has there been any type of shift there as well? Well, we in our business in bullion, you don't really have much of a seasonal demand. It, it, it very much seems to vary year from year. So it always seems to be that everybody's calling each other to say today we're going to buy gold or today we're not going to buy any gold. But essentially, I, I believe that the, the increase in cryptocurrencies and the large amount of gains is causing some of the crypto money to come back. And you know, the beauty is there are all these people which might have invested $1,000 or $10,000 and also sitting on $10 million. So why not take half a million and go back in gold with it? So overall, I think for the bullion industry, this is a great, great sort of development because you suddenly have people which are much more likely to buy gold or silver, uh, be a lot richer. And, you know, as some of that money is flowing back, I think it's going to be very good for for physical bullion. Now, do you guys get any demographic information as your buyers and who's using storage at Silver Bullion? Uh, yeah, actually, in, in our case, I would say that almost half of our clients are US-based, uh, quite a lot of Europeans, Australians, and so on. And I would say 90% of the customers actually store with us. So, um some of the customers use a peer-to-peer system to basically lend to each other. So, yeah, I would say mostly Westerners and mostly um, people who actually store with us. And do you get do you get age information? Um, yes, we do. It 
the age of our customers tend to be between 30 to around 60 years. So that kind of seems to be a sweet spot. So it's, it's fairly uh, evenly distributed. So a lot of people have been saying that, you know, cryptocurrencies is the new gold for millennials, that the older generation loved gold and silver, and now the new generation loves cryptocurrencies, and they see cryptocurrencies as an alternative to buying gold and silver. Do you think that you, do you see that from the demographic data and the people that are buying and storing with you guys at Silver Bullion? Um, yes, but I see some more complementary than competing to each other because, you know, if, if you, want, you want to have all of your money in crypto, you know, I would argue that it makes sense to take some of that money, some portion of that and put it in something like physical gold or silver or a home or something else. So it, it always makes sense, you know, to put a little bit of your nest egg in different baskets. And in that sense, you know, I sort of see them as being complementary. Plus, I would say that a crypto buyer is much more likely to buy gold or silver than, say, somebody who spends their whole life in, in the stock market and buying stocks. So in some sense, I would also long term see the rise of cryptocurrency as being very positive for physical bullion. Mm, right. Love it. OK, so we're going to talk a little bit about security building up to your guys new product. And I really just got my head around this stuff kind of the last couple of weeks over New Year's. Somebody sent me uh, a hardware wallet when he found out that I was just keeping all of my money in a web wallet. And I never really wanted to get into this stuff because after I lost money in Mt. Gox, I was I moved everything into kind of a web wallet off off the you know off one exchange and but then I never wanted to touch it because I was always just scared as hell that I'm gonna mess something up. I'm not a, a super technical guy, and I thought I was just gonna lose it. Um, it was a really b- big bad stain from Mount Gox that I still haven't fully gotten over. But when we're talking about the the different levels of security currently available to most investors, if you want to call it, or people that hold cryptocurrencies. Uh, I would just start with my understanding of them, which is first level, you have the exchange, which is you just, you buy it on exchange, you host it on exchange. That would be super low security, which is where all, most of the hacks happen. Then you would have a live web wallet. I guess they call it kind of a live wallet, which would be something that you just go to a web address, you get a wallet, and then you host it there, correct? Um, yes. I mean, says that's one option, yep. And then the third would be a software wallet where you actually download the software, host the coins in that wallet. And then the fourth that I know of would be a hardware wallet, something like uh, Treasure. Treasure, I'm sure there's tons of other ones now as well. Yes, so those are all some, some options of what you can do. Uh, I would say when you store crypto, you sort of have to, have to decide whether you want to store it yourself, um, meaning that you actually write down the private key somewhere or... Uh, put in a file and so on and so on, or whether you're using a system which is going to handle also private keys for you. Now, um, if you go to an exchange, exchanges are not necessarily uh, very risky, but the, the thing with an exchange is they have two contrasting requirements. Uh, they need to provide security, but they also need to enable transactions of bitcoins and a lot of transactions. So when you're building a system, you always have to sort of balance at least three different characteristics. Uh, reliability, which means how likely it is for you to actually lose the data, which will be terrible. Um, security, which is basically to prevent somebody from outside to go in and get your private keys and thereby steal your, your, your bitcoins. 
and convenience. Convenience, you know, in this case is defined by the cost of storage, as well as how easily you can make transactions in and out. So as there's no system which can do all of these things, because typically if you make something easy, it's also less secure and vice versa. So uh, exchanges basically have to do trade-offs between security and convenience, you know, uh, apps on the phones to store Bitcoins or other crypto. And these apps normally are free and they work pretty well. But the problem is that you're basically trusting that the software will be working fine, uh, that there's no bugs there. And more importantly, uh, these phone apps have a recovery function which utilizes your email. So in my case, for example, I, I tested it out and I had um, a phone app wallet and I tried the recovery function. And basically, uh, just by having access to my email, I was able to recover the wallet. What that basically means is that if you're storing $5 million worth of crypto in your phone app and somebody steals your uh, email uh, credentials, then they can basically go through your email, recover the wallet and steal your Bitcoin. So that's where uh, the risk is. So whenever something is online, you know, you, you always have a certain amount of risk. The other option, as you mentioned, is you go into something like Trezor, which are called hardware wallets. Now, hardware wallets basically are like mini computers which try to basically put a, a barrier to protect your um, private keys and your crypto. But, you know, of course, if you look more carefully, you will always find some issue. Uh, one of the issues with uh, USB sticks for, with, with these Trezors are that you would normally have to have a backup. Now, the backup typically is a mnemonic phrase. In other words, it's a set of 12 words or so, and you have to write it down or otherwise store it somehow. And anybody who can get a hold of these mnemonic phrases can basically recover your wallet if they buy a similar wallet. And once they recover your wallet, they can transfer your Bitcoins out. So uh, again, you are basically facing this compromise between reliability convenience and security. So if you use this, you just need to make sure that you don't don't put your mnemonic phrases in a bad spot and you have to make sure you keep it because if you lose it and then if your USB stick basically uh, happens to malfunction or you lose it, then you might just lose all of your Bitcoins. And I think most of the people which have lost the Bitcoins actually didn't get hacked. I think most of them actually lost it. And by throwing away the wrong piece of equipment, the wrong laptop, or the wrong USB stick. So these are the various options for you to store things. You can also do what's called a paper wallet, in which case you just write down your actual private key. Uh, you put it somewhere safe. You maybe make a copy or two and you put it somewhere else safe. And if you ever need to access your crypto, you just get back that, that, that piece of paper. So and the problem with storing in a piece of paper is um, what if the ink starts running? Maybe it's very humid and suddenly you can no longer read what you wrote down and suddenly your $2 million worth of Bitcoin are gone. So uh, you, as you go through all of these sort of uh, issues, you sort of have to look at, you know, what's, what's my risk of loss? What's my risk of somebody else stealing it? So, you know, growing up as a kid, you grew up in a neighborhood. We had, had a couple break-ins to our house growing up and, and my dad had you know, a safe. And we always thought that that might be like risk for someone to come in and, and try to rob us. 
So let's take a look at like the future of home invasion and home burglary in an extreme example. If cryptocurrencies become super, super mainstream, which they're on the way of becoming, and in the future, people know that people have millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrencies. If you have, you have these four different levels of security, exchange, web wallet, software wallet, hardware wallet. Are all of those, like if someone comes in and puts a gun to your head, they know you have, you know, multi-million dollars worth of cryptocurrencies. In pretty much all of those, they can get that, you know, get you to transfer your cryptocurrencies to them kind of on the fly, couldn't they? Like pretty much all those, all those different, uh, tiers of security. Uh, Yes, I, I I suppose so for the most part. I, I I guess the issue is if you have a bank account, you've got five million dollars in your bank account, and somebody puts a gun to, gun to your ha- to your head and asks you to use your token to transfer five million dollars to them, then you know they'll probably end up doing it as well. So uh, I, I guess sometimes the best thing is not to let people know that so you have five million dollars worth of uh, cash. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in right. your on your yeah. I I know it's an extreme example, but I just you know there's so many new millionaires out there in cryptocurrencies that are going around flaunting it all over the internet, and I'm like that's kind of a stupid thing to do because you know at least with with a bank a lot of times you have to you know they're going to call you the next day and verify it or they're going to have a limit on it or you have to do some type of double authentication like you said with a token, but a lot of times if these people just have it on an exchange or a web or software wallet. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to transfer it. I don't know if there's any any recovery in that sense, but you know, fortunately, we haven't heard of that stuff happening now. But you have all these conferences going on around the world. I'm going to one in in Miami next week, and people are just going to be talking about how much money they made, and maybe to the wrong person at some point. So, I guess the the point is, like you said, just you know, don't flaunt it, and, and certainly don't don't let people know uh, where you're keeping it as well. Yeah, you know, see the thing about cryptocurrency, one of the strengths. I guess is that you cannot reverse a transaction. So, and if you lose your your private key, it's gone forever. Uh, so there's no recovery method uh, with with a blockchain. And that's essentially because there's no central authority you can go to and say, "Hey, I lost this. Why don't you give it back to me?" Uh, that's also why it's decentralized and why it's once you make a transaction, there's basically no way back. So, uh, the system is is great. I like it a lot, but you know it forces you to basic. It's a black and white system. You either know your private key or you don't know it. And if you don't know it, then uh, you lost your Bitcoin. All right. And if, to your point, if you send it to the wrong address, or in this extreme scenario, you're forced to send it to somebody against your will, there, there is no way to get it back. Once it's done, it's done, right? Uh, pretty much, yes. Now, we are currently in the process of uh, negotiating with insurance companies to get insurance for the Bitcoin we are storing. And talking with some of them, they would actually uh, be able to cover the rest, uh, as far as I understand. We don't have it in writing yet, but um, if somebody puts a gun to your head and, and you know, you, you're forced to transfer something, then uh, we might actually be able to get the value back from the insurance uh, but you would not be able to get it from uh, from the uh, cryptocurrency itself. So I think I was, originally I was talking to Vincent on your team, and uh, I got a fr- my first sneak peek at at the new product of the Safe House, which is your your cryptocurrency storage. Now, is this is this launched yet, or is this is this being created at the moment? 
It's not quite launched yet. Uh, we are sort of fine-tuning uh, the last dots, and it always seems to take longer than you know I thought at first. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's important to launch it when ready and not a moment before. But essentially, it should be ready by within three to four weeks. Wow. So I, when, first time I looked at this video, I've watched it a few times now because I think it's really, really intriguing. I was originally thinking this looks like a video that was produced by Fort Knox. I mean, the the level of detail that you guys have put into this and what you've thought through is really incredible. So many things I've never thought through uh, when it comes to crypto security. And I have to imagine that this is going to be very appealing to especially, you know, institutions, people that are holding a lot more cryptocurrency than than the typical person. But take us into a little bit. Of course, we're going to leave the video in the show notes for, for the listeners. But take us a little into how this was created, why you guys set it up and, you know, what what everyone can expect out of it. Well, I think, first of all, I, I sort of realized by the middle well, they always really allowed people to buy and sell gold and silver using Bitcoin for around two years now. Um, but it was earlier this year that I realized that, you know, crypto is here to stay. And uh, it, it's something that we should really look into as far as how we can secure it. And what I think really gave us the impetus to concentrate on this 100% was when an elderly customer of ours, uh, basically asked to sell uh, a lot of his bullion, go into uh, Bitcoin in that case, and we enabled that. And when we asked him, okay, where do you want us to send it, to which address, uh, he wasn't sure what an address was. Uh, he didn't have a, a wallet or anything like this. And, you know, he he's definitely not a computer-savvy person. So we sort of realized, uh, okay, we, there's definitely a need for a safe web currency uh, for people who might not be as familiar with, with hardware wallets and, you know, all the other options that are out there. And while we are at it, um, because our company basically focuses on how to secure wells and, and looking at it in a very comprehensive manner, uh, we thought we might as well analyze how to store something safely and build what, you know, I'm hoping to be the safest storage system uh, out there. And essentially, if you want to give, if you would like, I can go through the six features, you know, that I would say more or less define our storage system. Yeah, I would, we would love that. And also, just going back, um, just a quick question on what you said earlier. So you're seeing people that wanted to move, uh, that wanted to pay for silver and gold through cryptocurrencies. Was that, was that like that scenario where the guy actually asked you to facilitate that trade on their behalf? Yes, that, that was something we started fairly early on. Uh, because it seemed like a natural sort of thing that if somebody has cryptocurrencies and, and he wants to go into physical gold and silver, you know, we often had scenarios in the past where people would say, okay, uh, if there's a gold nationalization in the US and or if there's a major financial crisis and the banks don't transfer money or if there's um, uh, as a sort of capital controls uh, and I have my gold in Singapore and I want to sell it, how do I ever get my money? And you know, when cryptocurrency came around, we kind of said, well, uh, here's one more way to sort of answer that question. So that's why early on we sort of said, OK, let's figure out a way of uh, accepting Bitcoin, both for sale and, and sell back of gold or silver. And yeah, that's pretty much how, how the Bitcoin liquidity portion for us started. Very cool. OK, cool. Thanks for going back on that. All right. Let's talk about the, the six features that you mentioned with the new product. OK, well, 
I would say the first thing that people are worried about when they think about cryptocurrency storage is that somebody might come in and, and basically hack the system. Uh, some outside, you know, intruder uh, who gets the private keys and basically, basically what happened to Mt. Gox. So uh, when you read about Bitcoin storage or crypto storage, you oftentimes hear that, ter- hears that term called storage. Now, cold storage more or less means that the bitcoins or the private key is stored on or to other networks. And because it's not connected, it's harder for somebody to to get and steal these bitcoins. But the problem is that that's a generic term and people never really specify how it is ensured that the system is offline. So in our case, we looked at it and we said, well, we can go a step beyond it. We can generate a private key and uh, an address on an offline system, but we immediately encrypt it and then we basically materialize it on a piece of plastic card with a laser. And by doing that, or after doing this, we completely delete any trace of uh, the private key on, on the offline systems. And that basically means that we are no longer digitally storing any private keys. It's essentially, you know, a, what a paper wallet will be. And to sum it up, it basically means that if you don't store it digitally, it cannot be stolen digitally, meaning it cannot be hacked. So uh, that's the first part of the system. And because we operate a 600-ton vault and we have all these safe deposit boxes, it was very easy for us to then store the physical cards. The next problem is when you store something physically, a private key and so on, you have the problem that anybody who can see it can also steal it. In other words, if you take your private key as a QR code and you just write it on a card and then you put it in some box, then anybody who handles that card, if he take a, takes a photo of it, he could then have your private key and steal your, your coins. So the way that is addressed is that we immediately encrypt the private key in memory. It never gets stored digitally. Uh, in memory, it gets encrypted. And then using uh, UV laser, it gets etched on these plastic cards. So anybody stealing these cards basically will have no use for it because the encryption is actually the same type of encryption that Bitcoin itself uses. So uh, it's pretty much useless unless you have a way of decrypting it. So feature is going more into the reliability realm, which is how do you ensure that if you are writing these encrypted codes down, that 10 years from now, these things are still legible, or 20 years from now, or 30 years. So and if you look into it you know, a bit more carefully, you'll find that oftentimes ink is what ends up running or what is going to get you into problems. Uh, and paper, of course, is not the safest way of storing something long-term either. So we basically said, okay, we'll get a, a ultraviolet laser and polycarbonate plastic cards. And that combination basically produces a physical card, plastic card, uh, which will last for a very, very long time, especially because we are then taking these cards and we put it inside uh, what we call a mini box, which is a numbered uh, box, which itself is being sealed with a metal seal. And that box then goes in a safe deposit box. And so we can store this data for 70, 80, 90 years uh, reliably. And by doing this, we basically address the decay issue uh, of storing private keys. And 
then of course you know your system might be might be great and perfect and so on but you never know if you have some sort of catastrophe or something happens and somehow that that card might get lost anyway and being bitcoin if you lose your private key uh, your bitcoins are basically irretrievable so uh, what we are doing is we generate two cards one is a customer card one is a recovery card so using different types of encryptions for different purposes and so on but essentially from one card we can recreate another card and uh, that basically gives us uh, redundancy uh, if we have some sort of plane or something uh, crashing to our vault and ends up burning down all the cards in our vault uh, we do have a backup location where we keep the recovery cards and from the recovery cards we can recreate the cards which have been destroyed now uh, so recovery cards are not a security risk because them themselves are encrypted and there's no good way of decrypting them. So uh, that's the redundancy aspect. And uh, lastly, you know, a major a major problem when you're storing something is customer impersonation or identity theft. So uh, I mentioned it earlier when I was explaining about, you know, email recovery and so on on online wallets, where uh, if somebody gets a hold of your email credentials, they can pretend to be you and recover a wallet. So in a sense, it doesn't matter how good our system is. If we rely on, uh, say, email, uh, our system will only be as good as as somebody taking care of their uh, username and password. So what what we did instead is we require, when there's a withdrawal, to have a video conference with a customer. And because we have the customer's um, uh, password, we can basically identify him. Uh, we can call him up and we can see him picking up the phone over the video conference. But that video conference essentially is the best way we found to ensure that the person calling is indeed the customer uh, to confirm the transaction. And uh, the added benefit is that if somebody is trying to impersonate the customer, it is very unlikely that they want to show their face on a video conference. So uh, that's another aspect which you know is sort of key. And lastly, uh, it is it is very difficult right now to get insurance on cryptocurrencies uh, because insurance companies basically have a very hard time to understand what sort of risk there is uh, of somebody storing their uh, bitcoins on a computer. Uh, in our case, because we are not storing it on a computer and because we've been running this world for uh, quite some time without any problems, uh, the insurance companies are actually interested in talking with us, are interested to understand our system. And we've pretty much been told that, you know, they're willing to, to do insurance on it. Now, I've actually been arguing that it's safer for us to store cryptocurrency than it is to store gold because if somebody manages to get into the gold and run away with some gold, the gold is gone. But if somebody ends up stealing uh, one of these customer cards, they can't do anything with it because they're encrypted and we can recover it from our recovery card. So in some sense, I was trying to argue that it's actually, uh, there should be a lower premium for cryptos than it is for um, gold, but uh, that argument doesn't seem to <laughs> hold sway with them. Yeah, theoretically. Now, in practice, uh, I think we're looking at 10 to 15 times higher insurance premiums on crypto than on bullion. And and that's just because we are among the first who are being considered for 
uh, crypto insurance because these insurance companies don't have a history of claims and so on. So they don't have a good way of really evaluating what the risk is. And so they're, they're looking at doing, uh, looking at high premiums. But the way we can sort of handle that is we make it optional. Uh, if a customer feels that they want to get third party insurance and, you know, they're free to take it if they're not and, and feels they don't need it or it's not worth their money, so then they don't have to. Uh, one thing that you guys did that, that I didn't even know about until we talked last time, um, on regards to the to the safe house and, and silver bullion was that you introduced a peer-to-peer lending platform against people's bullion which i thought was super innovative and i know actually some of our our listeners are actually using and utilizing that practice and it looks like you're gonna roll that out for for bitcoin as well correct yes um because uh, as you mentioned we've been running it for around two years now we had around 1900 contracts being made so on average, we're having three or four contracts per day, but we are limited in some amount of borrowers. We built the system to be very safe by requiring 200% worth of collateral and having some other safety measurements in there. So we're in a situation where we have too many willing lenders and we don't have enough borrowers. And by introducing a cryptocurrency as a collateral type so you can borrow against uh, we basically expect uh, a lot more borrowers to be interested in doing this and get a lot more liquidity on the system. That makes sense. So I, I would imagine the reason for that is because a lot of people storing gold with you have a lot of wealth already. They're putting their, their, their gold in a very secure place. A lot of the people in, and so they don't actually need to borrow a lot of money. But with the Bitcoin, you have a lot of new wealth, a lot of flash wealth that People might have that, but they might also not be liquid for other forms of, of currency. So they might want to borrow against it. Yes, that's one uh, one option. And right now, there are not many ways to borrow uh, against cryptocurrency. So uh, being one of the few options to do that, I think, will will be, will be very interesting for the market. And I think we're going to get goodwill from the crypto community for doing that. Uh, and, and it's not a new system. We've been running for two years so we have a, a history it's a mature system and so on we just need to add a cryptocurrency um, as an asset against which you can collateralize uh, one difference though is that gold and silver tends to be a lot more stable uh, from a volatility point of view compared to bitcoin so <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> that's an understatement so, <laughs> right so uh, 200% collateral uh, might not be enough if somebody is, is borrowing for a year. So what we're considering doing instead is to basically change the system a little bit for cryptocurrencies and just let the lenders basically take delivery of the collateral uh, if um, if, some, if the borrower will end up defaulting on the, on the loan. Now, it's a little bit different on the way we do it with gold and silver, because with gold and silver, we actually liquidate the bullion uh, if it goes down to 110% of the principal. Um, but with cryptocurrencies, you know, Bitcoin fell 40% within, you know, in, in about a day or something like this. So it's so volatile and the liquidity isn't really there for Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies in the way it is there for gold and silver. So uh, in this case, what we will probably do is let lenders decide, uh, make sure lenders understand the risk, 
and then offer you know whichever interest rates they're willing to take so for gold we're looking around three and a half percent interest rates that are being asked for per year for cryptocurrency it's probably going to be higher but our system is basically set up so that uh, borrowers and lenders decide amongst themselves with a bid and ask system what the interest rate is so the system will sort of adjust itself and um, we'll just kind of you know, need to make sure everybody understands uh, what the risk is or what the risk is not and then it's up to the lender to decide how much collateral he wants or how much interest uh, he's willing to to take mm. so now if a person wants to start using this new product with you guys do they they don't need to come to singapore to get it all set up or do they no, no, no. You can do everything remotely. Uh, you will basically just create an account online. Uh, you will then apply for our storage system, Star Storage. And uh, once the system is ready, we are basically are going to add uh, the option of, st- of storing Bitcoin. At first, we will we'll be looking at expanding it probably into Ethereum and a few other currencies at a later stage. And uh, there wouldn't be any cost to it. So y- you can make an account. You can Say you also want to have the cryptocurrency account, and in such case, we'll be creating an account for you. We'll create the the card, we'll put it on storage for you, and so on. And and then you would have an address, and you can just transfer bitcoins uh, on that ad, into that address. And what level of wealth do you think this is going to appeal to in terms of cr- cryptocurrency assets? Is it is it for the person that has a thousand dollars in cryptocurrencies? Certainly the higher tiers, but where do you think that kind of the minimum threshold will be? Mm, well, I, one thing to understand about our system is uh, coming back to say um, convenience versus security. Now, because the system is quite, it's very secure. Uh, it is not that convenient. So if, if you are a person who wants to u- send out a lot of payments, uh, we are probably not the right choice because uh, whenever money is going out, we basically have to send uh, vault operators to the safe deposit box, get out that bar, end up making a, a video conference call and so on. So it's, it's quite inconvenient in some way. So the target market we are looking at are people which are storing large amounts of crypto for a long period of time. Now, uh, a lot of people might just be transferring, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars or so to kind of see how it works. And since they might be adding adding more, but we will have to charge a withdrawal fee. Um, you know, right now I'm looking at maybe a hundred dollars or so whenever you do a withdrawal. And if you have a fee like this, it doesn't make sense to uh, put a small amount of, of crypto in. So you probably want to have a larger amount um, but having said that, uh, putting money into the system is very easy because you just transfer funds to the address. Uh, it's when you take it out where we have to make sure that the customer is indeed the customer and goes through all these processes to to wire some money out. Right. It's super innovative. I, I highly recommend all the listeners take a look at the video because I think the video really brings it to life with visuals of the encoding machines that they have and how this stuff's set up the levels of security that this is actually locked in a vault that is locked in a vault that is locked in a vault so it's it's really impressive and i you know every time i see visuals of what you guys have set up over there in singapore it's really really incredible and this is just the latest innovation which i think is really cool to see because you know going from from one market into the next and being able to you know to create a a product around this this new category of 
assets is really cool. So Gregor, awesome having you back on to catch up. Um, we'll share the links to all this stuff in the show notes and good luck with this stuff. Let us know when it launches and we'll put out some more material on it. Great. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Now I'm excited to see how much Bitcoin is going to be in that vault next to the gold and silver. I, I think that's, it's like an insane visual to just imagine all that kind of money being stored offsite. And it's, it's, it's exciting. Can you imagine how much of that vault is full of gold, silver, precious metals? And to think that literally a chip as big as your thumb could hold the equivalent amount of money on it as all the gold and silver in that vault. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's the most insane part is, I mean, it, I think it's a really smart move on, on their part to start storing, um, you know, creating a, a way for people to store the Bitcoin because, I mean, the n- number of, of dollars, you know, the equivalent number of dollars you can store in a in a little chip little on a little piece of plastic card can be as much as that entire vault. And it just, I mean, it's just genius for them to do so. But also, I think it's a really smart move that a lot of people who are Bitcoin millionaires are not going to want to convert their money straight into cash. They're going to want to keep their money in something stable, uh, maybe not as volatile as cryptocurrency. But when they cash out, they don't necessarily want to go into USD. Mm-hmm. They might just cash out into gold or silver because that actually makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And even a, just as a business perspective, I love to really see what they're doing in thinking, you know, they're always thinking of the next generation. Why get stuck in one asset class when you can hold another, a new asset class, right? I love the thinking outside the box. And this is why a lot of companies in the S&P 500 are turning over so quick now compared to what they're doing 40 years ago, because companies now are extremely innovative, fast moving, hyper competition. And this is just a great example for any of the people out there that are, you know, that are more business minded or not necessarily investing yet, but are, are more interested in business. This is, in my opinion, very appealing just as a strategic move as a business. But Johnny, I want a vision quest with you for a second, right? Okay, let's do it. Okay, let's think about crypto. Right now, everyone's calling them cryptocurrencies, but almost everyone's agreed now that crypto, what we're calling cryptocurrencies aren't a crypt, aren't actually a currency because governments, you can't pay your taxes in currency in these cryptocurrencies and also they're taxed as securities. So if you go pay for your groceries with them, that's a taxable event, at least in the USA. Here's how I kind of think this stuff plays out maybe 10 years from now, right? I went to the Bitcoin conference down in Miami and what I saw was a lot of bullshit. I have to be honest. A lot of companies there, they didn't need blockchain. A lot of companies there, they didn't need a token. And a lot of companies there, they didn't have their own representatives to represent their booths. And the representatives are there, they didn't know how to represent their company or describe it meaningfully. But that's okay because any of these mega trends, you're going to get that. You're going to get a lot of companies jumping in, trying to you know take advantage of opportunity. But what I realized is that the future of assets are going to be in some form more, much more digitized, right? Even like the US dollar for the most part is a digital currency. We just have cash, but it's a, it's a relatively small amount as a total circulation of money supply. So I think in the future, eventually you're going to have a lot of our assets in digital form or in token form. Let's say like a deed on your house. There's no reason that 
closing on a house requires 30 days, etc. You could have a deed of your house on a token in a digital wallet. And if you want to sell your house, you literally transfer it. Someone transfers you a digital currency. The tax is digitally withheld from from the gross amount. And everything is settled. It could theoretically be settled within minutes instead of months. And I think that's going to happen with a lot of different assets from your car to, you know, even private investments and stuff. So I think that's where all this is going and why I think that the, the security aspect of this all, like in this episode is important for all the listeners is because this, you don't want to make the same mistakes that so many people have, including myself, where I've lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in what would have been today's amount of Bitcoin because of security mistakes. So I think everyone should get their head around how, how wallets work, how different security options work. Uh, and how different storage ops- options work for crypto assets, because like cryptocurrencies today or not, they're going to be part of the future for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with with that a hundred percent. And especially, you know, when you're the DD of your house becomes a you know literally an online contract token, mm-hmm. you don't want that stored on a piece of paper that you can lose kind of just like a deed of house at least with the deed of the house you have a backup you know or you can um figure out a way say okay well i lost my key to my house can i make another key and right in in that sense it's it's true but with cryptocurrencies no they're like no sorry you lost your key too bad and it's very unforgiving in that way so now we have to really think about you know ways to secure not only our you know our assets but also a way to secure us not losing access to that, yeah. <laughs> that access, which makes it confusing. But I think that we can take a lot of the foundations that we've learned through our previous 84 episodes and actually apply it to this. So I think a lot of people don't they, – they almost kind of treat Bitcoin as something completely different than a, a standard investment. Mm-hmm. But I really think that we can use some of the foundational um, lessons that we learned you know, throughout this podcast, throughout reading you know, Tony Robbins' Money Master Game and think about things like – Okay, the worst thing that we can we can do is just not be in the market. Yeah. Just sit on the sideline and waiting, you know, for something else to happen. You know, we're trying to time it and we can't, you know, with stocks, with real estate, with uh with cryptocurrencies, it's, you know, really is the, the time in the market is most important versus, you know, sitting on the sideline kind of just waiting and and hoping for something. You know, also Dollar cost averaging in a lot of people aren't doing that. People are just buying in when they decide to buy in instead of just you know getting in. And actually, as far as the security and safety of it, or just storing it, I really think that up to a certain amount, you know, whatever whatever amount you're willing to lose or wouldn't really be that big of a deal. Let's say ten grand or something. You can you know it's it's better just to start and have it stored in the exchange and having that small risk of it getting hacked or, or lost mm-hmm. than not getting started at all. And once you get to a significant amount where that amount, if you lost it, would be devastating, then we really should start exploring options on um, I'm putting it in somewhere you know that's less convenient but safer. Yeah, I like the the aspect of less convenient also because I also think it's a barrier to you making an emotional decision. You know, you and I have also talked a lot about having the option, wishing we had the option to lock up our Vanguard account and basically just throw away the keys to it for multiple years. And I think there is a level of that, you know, we talk about having a financial advisor and how a financial advisor, part of the value in that is just keeping you from making irrational decisions. And I think the same is very true with, you know, something potentially like cryptocurrencies, because it is so easy for most cryptocurrencies for people to log on, 
and trade them. And if you're, if you're, true uh, strategy is buy and hold, it's very easy to get out of that, right? But if you take a, a, an additional level of security, like put them on a, a hardware wallet and you know put it in a safety deposit box or use some type of product like Silver Bullion has, it does add one little layer of, of barrier in order to, to make that trade. So if that's part of your strategy, that's something that you could, you could definitely build in. But I'll tell you like on this last, on this last sell-off, I didn't think there was going to be a bottom, you know, like when stocks sell off now, it's like we, we kind of understand it. We've, we've, we've looked at this stuff historically and talked to so many export experts have been in the market for 70 years. But with this last sell off, I was like, I don't know where it's going to end. It, it might take some massive geopolitical or banking overhaul crisis to, to bring it out of this, but you know, it rebounded and it looks like everything's stabilizing or potentially back on the way up. Yeah. Except for my, my ripple, which is still down. (laughs) (laughs) But what's funny is I purposely didn't even log into any of my accounts during that big downturn because I knew I wasn't going to sell anything. I was just going to hold anyways. Mm -hmm. And I literally did not even open uh, my Delta wallet or my, uh, it's not really a wallet, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, like a tracker until this episode. And every time I log in, I'm either down ten thousand dollars or up five thousand dollars. <laughs> it's wild. It's it's insane. And, and you know, I'm happy to announce that because I have uh, most of my money in ether and then a little bit of money in, in Bitcoin. Um, that because of those are up, everything's fine. Yeah. And I guess just to give everyone, I don't mind using myself as, as an example because I don't have that much actual money in um, total crypto assets. I have, as of today, twenty eight thousand six hundred thirty two dollars, uh, which is a significant amount of money, but I also don't really count that as, you know, money I need to survive on. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a pretty small percentage of my total net worth. So what I personally do, honestly, because I have, I just want the convenience, is I just have, I have it kind of stored across three different exchanges and a uh, online wallet. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not the, safe, the safest way to do it, but it's definitely the most convenient way to do it. And because I just have a few thousand dollars uh, in Kraken, I have a few thousand dollars in Coinbase, I have a few thousand dollars in my 10x wallet, I have you know, a few thousand dollars here and there, that if somebody really wanted to hack you know, Coinbase or Kraken to try to get in, at my $5,000, it's not, you know, not going to be the end of the world to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like having the convenience of just having it there where I could, um, you know, I could move it into a different wallet, I can spend it, I can, I can actually you know, use it to buy things or, or, you know, or trade. Yeah, we, used the, we, we talked in the episode about someone potentially holding a, a gun to someone's head. And that's, a, that's actually a pretty serious event. And I've heard of two situations that has happened since we recorded this episode about a month ago. Both were at the, the BTC conference in Miami. One guy was talking about his buddy that happened to in Hong Kong, another guy in Miami. In both cases, the people got kidnapped, literally gun to the head, give me your private keys. And there was a loss. I think the one guy lost like $18,000. The other guy was like 140000 And in both cases, it was these guys that were online and they were talking about how much money that they had made where they lived, interacting with these communities and saying they're attending these events and, and basically meeting up with people. So it's a very serious thing. And it's only the problem's only going to get worse. There's massive hackers all over the world working to try to figure out how to profit from cryptocurrencies. And there's hard criminals, people that are looking to do real harm to people because they know it's easy for them to make a quick win. So 
any of the people out there, any listeners out there, don't talk about how much money you have in, in crypto assets, especially if it's a lot. If you do, make it secure. Don't make it so that it's easy to transfer. But take this stuff seriously because crime was the same 100 years ago as it is today. People are looking to make a quick quick money and if they think that they can profit quickly from you know something like this, it's a very serious matter. So we'll just make sure you know keep keep your investments close to your chest and um, and take that stuff seriously. Uh, one thing that I like that you just mentioned, Johnny, about keeping in exchanges, Coinbase now has a new thing. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's called the their vault. Okay. No, I haven't seen it yet. So what what is that ba- about? It's ba- and I think this is a great thing for especially smaller size investors. It's basically like uh, it's how they get FDIC insured, and what they do is they they put uh, I think it I want to say it's they put 98 percent of what's in the vault in in cold storage. So you move money from your your wallet in Coinbase into your vault wallet. So instead of it being like live on the exchange, it's in their quote unquote vault. And in order to move it out of there, I believe it takes two days. But what that means is oh, nice. when you move it into the vault, they're moving it into cold storage. And I believe that's how they get this FDIC insurance because it's it's more or less hack proof. Um, but if you want to move the money out, it takes a couple of days to get it back out live in there. But at least it's all consolidated in one place. And I think that's a really good, strong option for people who are not doing day trades, but don't want to mess around with hardware wallets, software wallets, you know, much more like you know much more heavy layered security uh so i would also encourage people to take a look into that and i think that's also a good product from coinbase you know what so i'm signing up for that as we speak because that sounds awesome i I didn't even know that was a an option and that actually makes sense i mean and honestly there is no easy uh solution and there's no there's nothing that's 100 percent secure and you know as much as we would like to think i mean you know even the safe house which Mm -hmm. is literally a bank vault guarded, you know, with guards in Singapore, one of the safest places in the world, you know, taking all these precautions, you know, there's even that, like there's no such thing that is 100% safe mm-hmm. when it comes to, to cryptocurrencies. It's about managing risk. And at the end of the day, we have to figure out what type of risk are, are we comfortable with and also what can we do to to kind of diversify that risk or just manage it a little bit better. And I think, you know, what, what you were saying about, you know those the the physical hard criminals mm-hmm. actually showing up. That's scary because I mean, think about it. Most you know people into Bitcoin are super nerds. Yeah. <laughs> and you know if you're a hard criminal that knows how to use a wallet, you're like, okay, I can just show up, shake one of these guys down, you know, in person, and then you know they probably they could probably just transfer me some Bitcoin on their phone. I don't think that's gonna happen to me because. You know, first off, I'll punch him in the face. But second, I don't even know how to transfer Bitcoin from my phone. I'd have, I'd literally have to be like, "Hey, man, like, you're gonna have to give me a few days." Yeah. And you know, it just wouldn't be worth their time. Um, but you know, it's sad not being able to to talk transparently about investments. I mean, I think that's why people like our show so much is because we are so transparent about it. I understand the the downsides of it and the repercussions of it. You know why? You know. It's not advisable to most people to be that transparent. But when somebody tells me they've invested in, you know, Ethereum, for example, or, you know, let's say not Ethereum because it's pretty stoutish now, but let's say a new, you know, crypto asset. Mm -hmm. I want to know how invested they are. I don't want to know that they've, you know, bought, you know, you know, a hundred dollars worth of 
with, with the, the you know the the new coin, I want to know how serious they are about it. If they're like, no, I put in you know twenty thousand dollars, then I know they're really serious. And then I know, okay, well if they put in twenty grand, maybe I'll put in two grand because mm. it sounds like something that they really believe in. Yeah. Well, I would just summarize, I guess, saying take security very seriously. This is emerging asset class and with any emerging asset class, as much as we sit here and talk about how we want to make bake payments quicker, easier, more efficient, the transfer of assets quicker, easy and more efficient with that always comes risk. And you mentioned the word mitigating risk. And I think that's a good thing for everyone to think about that early adopters getting into this stuff. As we all know, I lost a lot of money in Mt. Gox being an early adopter and not understanding the security risk. I ultimately profited from being an early adopter, but I have that stain on me that, you know, I lost a lot and, you know, that's an experience to go through, right? And that's something that, of course, I'll carry forward with me. And I would just encourage all the listeners that are getting into this. This is still very early stages of crypto assets. It's first inning. There's going to be great opportunities. There's a lot of risk, but understand the security risk going into it because nothing worse than getting robbed or you know, losing something that you could have just taken extra precaution and secured properly. Yeah, definitely. And at the very least, if you're going to go the route of just leaving an exchange, don't leave more than five or 10 grand in each exchange. Just diversify it through a couple of different ones. It's pretty easy to do. There's really no reason not to have, you know, five online wallets instead of just having one right. um, and having much smaller chance of getting hacked. But whatever you do, don't let that be the reason why you don't get started, uh, whether it's investing in cryptocurrencies or investing in index funds or the stock market or real estate. There's always going to be ups and downs. And that's what this podcast is about, is exploring all the pros and cons and helping you guys get started. So big thank you to all of you guys who've been listening. Big thank you to Sam for interviewing all these great guests every week. And big thank you to all of our guests. If you guys want to help get the show in the earbuds of even more people, do us a favor, go on iTunes, leave us a review. You can probably just click on uh, your podcast player's app right now on your phone, wherever you're listening, and leave us a review. Uh, and that'll help spread the word. And this week, I want to acknowledge and say thank you to Damocles, who said, insightful and actionable investment information, highly recommended podcast, insightful and actionable investment information. The hosts, Johnny and Sam, are the real deal. And they generally have the listeners' interest in mind. The transparency and honesty of all their investment results and experiences have highly valued and served as excellent benchmarks for the audience. The combination of high-quality guests and informed hosts results in an honest, constructive exchange of ideas and information. Keep up the great work. I look forward to many more podcasts, many future podcasts. Uh, so thank you to Damocles and everyone else who's left a great review. And thanks, thank you, Sam. <laughs> thank you, Johnny. Thank you, guys. We'll listen to you all less, next week. And some great episodes coming up, including our Q1 takeaways in a few weeks. Looking forward to it. Johnny, see you later, buddy. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.